Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where the, one of the hosts forgets to turn on the music. This is the 46th episode of Taps and Patience. I'm AJ with Design the Everything here with Harrison of Precision Ingenuity. Uh, so Harrison, you just made me spend a bunch of money on tool holders. You're welcome. <laughs> right before this podcast, Harrison pointed out the Haas tooling sale where you could get a ER16 BT30 tool holder for 25 bucks. Um, I bought 12 of them. So thanks, Harrison. <laughs> You're welcome. But gosh, 12 tool holders for 300 bucks. Like that's, yeah, that's insane. That's awesome. So you can't even get like cheap AliExpress ones for that cheap. Yeah. So. But I figure I'm probably going to buy a machine in the next year. And so I'll need the tool holders for it. Yeah. Which is exciting. Uh, new machines. Um we're definitely like we got the new shop. And so whenever we get that figured out, we'll probably be getting a new machine. So nice. That's going to be exciting. So basically you're moving in sometime September. Let me rephrase that. You have possession of the building sometime in September or October, right? Yeah. September 30th, I believe is when he's, is the official date. However, there's a little bit of a hiccup where he wants us to take over utilities middle of August. And so if that was to happen, part of the stipulation is going to be that if we take over utilities at that point, we're going to be moving in sooner. So, okay. He's got to make does that he expect to be, Does he expect to be paying them or what? I have no idea. I just know that he's, he's because we, we own the building and the utilities are in his name. He wants to move the utilities over as soon as possible, but he's not going to be out till end of September. So we weren't planning on taking over utilities until that point. So, if he wants us to take over utility sooner, then he needs to be out sooner. That's kind of the thing that we need to figure out. Okay. That's so. weird, but okay. But anyways, so figuring that out, a lot going on um, in my world. So I, I posted some photos to Instagram or uh, I don't know. I think it was a reel actually of uh, my machine all torn apart. Yeah, it was uh, missing an important part there. Yeah, it was. So I guess I can talk a little bit about that real quick. So our machine has been slowly degrading, which is the natural course of tooling and machines over time. Uh And what really did it for us was I had an uh, aluminum job I did recently, and it had some big 45-degree cuts. And it was stair-stepping like crazy on that 45. And it looked horrible. Where the X and Y axis were not synchronizing well. And so it was just kind of... It it was just kind of like stair-stepping its way up. Yeah. And so... uh, We have a job coming up next week or the week after. Where I have some parts that I need to hold like a thou. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be unacceptable for those parts. Yes. and Or it's plus or minus a thou, I believe. They're mostly along the X and Y axis, so it shouldn't be too bad. But there is some... It's kind of a rectangle, but the very edges of the rectangle, there's probably a 10-degree chamfer that's probably... Or a 10-degree taper section that's probably, I don't know, a quarter to an eighth inch long. Uh-huh. Um, which is long enough, and the tolerances are high enough that... I don't want anything to look like um, really bad for that. Yeah. 
And so I got to get this fixed before I do that job. So that's kind of what kicked the butt, uh, kicked, kicked us in gear. And initially what I was going to do was I was just going to look at the X and Y axis. Mm-hmm. But once I tore everything apart from, cause I took the, the Saunders table off the machine and I took everything off. And once I had torn it all the way down to that, I was like, okay, well, we're already down for a little bit. Let's go ahead and do the spindle too. Yep. And so took that apart. So I took that out today and I put it back in today. So, okay. um, but I don't got it all hooked up yet and I got to do a break okay. in still. So all I all I did was right before the podcast, I got it back up into the headstock and I got the bolts on the bottom. That's about it. I mean, that's most of the work. Yeah. So, but I got it all tore apart, and uh, one of out of the four bearings, one of them was completely shot. Like it rattled around in the cage. It was yep. just not doing anything. The it's it's twin though. That was the upper bearing. So it's. The other upper bearing wasn't really that bad. Okay. It was bad. Like you could, you could, when you'd spin it, you could hear it, um, but it still felt pretty tight. It didn't feel that bad. And then on the lower bearings, both lower bearings were better than the upper bearings, but the, they were worse than the better bearing, but better than the worst bearing. Okay. Like, like they were like right in between both of the, like there's a big range on the top two. Small range on the bottom too, but they were both still bad. So, so that's why you were still running because the bearing. So you had one bearing that was really bad, and other ones that were in the process of dying. So you were getting the heat from the bad bearing, but it wasn't awful because you had the other bearings to still support stuff. Yes, and I think the only reason, and and really, this has gone. It probably went bad a, almost a year ago at this point. Um, but I think the only reason we were able to limp along as long as we did without any major issues is because of our warm-up routine that we do every time before the machine. So we always warm up our machine before we use it, and not a whole lot of Tormach users do that as an aggregate. Guilty. And, <laughs> and um, I think that's made a huge difference in um, being able to have the spindle last as long as it had, as long as it has. So... But it was really cool to get everything tore apart, and uh, I'm in the process of putting it all back together. Um, so anyways, I ended up calling and talking to Tormach, and they think there's three issues that I'm trying to address. And one of them is going to be probably surprising for you. So the first was my spindle, which was a, a known issue that's been kind of bad for yeah. about a year. The second one is my x-axis. So it looks like my thrust bearings are going out on my x-axis. So. Okay. I've got new ones on order for that, and they should be showing up probably by Friday, if not uh, over the weekend. So I'm going to have to do that. Um, we could have next day aired it, but um, I'll tell you why we didn't here in a minute. I'll come back to that. So that's the that's the second thing. The third thing, which I didn't know, is Tormach has been investigating the ClearPath servos because... They've had some stair-stepping issues with brand new machines. Like it's, oh, it's kind of a it's kind of a known issue that all MX machines have. And they've been working on it for a while. And he was telling me that he and I don't know if this is public knowledge yet, and I don't know if they're gonna do a big release or what they're gonna do. Um, they might not do it unless people ask them. 
Um, but while I was talking to the tech support guy that I was from Tormach, he said that he was going to send me copies of the new firmware for the ClearPath servos, specifically for the X and Y axis, because they've been they, they've been manually tuning the servos over time. To, and they said it should improve the stair stepping you see mm-hmm. when they're moving together by between 40 to 60 percent. Did you talk to our favorite service tech? He was not there. Oh, that's disappointing. He's not. He's on vacation. So yeah, he's talked to me about new tunes for those. Yeah. Okay. Can you take a step back and redefine the stair stepping you were facing for me? Yeah. Okay. So anytime your machine is moving in a in a direction, if it's along the x axis or y axis. It doesn't matter what the other spindles or what the other thing's doing because it's it's perfectly it's just moving in one axis. So basically, if you're doing a circle or or a forty five degree cut, your both your both your servos are moving at the same time, and your controller is telling it to move at an angle. But one one servo might move a little bit faster than the other, and so it'll cause it to eat in more or not eat in as much. And what that what that amounts to, if you were to zoom in and look at it, is it'll look like a stair step. So think about it like as a like a photo. If you were to zoom into a photo and look mm-hmm. at the individual pixels, you can never get a perfect straight line because of those pixels. That's basically what it's doing with the servos. Is it's is it's they're not getting they're not moving at the same rate to the same place at the same time. And okay. so that causes a stair step and it's, it's in all of their MX machines. It's not in their, um, from my understanding, it's not in the, M the series. stepper, stepper motor versions because those are die step and direction. And so they don't have like a clear path motor. It's a servo. So you tell it to go somewhere and it'll try to get there, but it, but there could be a disconnect between how fast it gets there. And so that's why you have to do servo tuning versus stepper motors, which, which move in discrete steps. And so a servo, you have to tune it to try to act like a stepper motor. It's a, it's a different motor technology. And because of that, I believe that from the beginning, they were just had the auto tune that ClearPath has, and they've been manually tuning it ever since then. Uh, they said, you know, the auto tune gets you like ninety nine point five percent of the way there, mm-hmm. but they gotta, they you gotta tune them independently to get that last little bit, and that's what they've been working on. Have you ever played with the machine smoothing settings? No, because um, that might help you too, because it could it actually be a toolpath thing. Well, it's progressively gotten worse, and mm. and I I got about a thou and a half of run out in my x axis and five tenths and my y, so okay. my so there's definitely it's it's a combination of three things that I think makes it really bad. My yeah. my my like I said my spindle was going out and my x axis thrust bearings were going out. Those are the two ones that I was aware of that I was attributing to this factor, and it was only talking to the service tech that he said, hey, there's a third option that you don't know about that we're working on that I can get you the files for that'll probably help even more. So to where it'll cut better than it did when it was new. And I, and I assume you like, tightened oh. your Gibbs. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I did all my Gibbs stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a weird issue the other day when I was making some of my pallets, they're um, 
just mild steel, but it's two inches thick and uh, six inches wide. But when I was cutting along the x-axis, I could feel and hear the x-axis going kakunk, kakunk, kakunk occasionally. Mm-hmm. And I I tried turning down my um, my feeds. I tried playing with feeds and speeds, and I just like as long as it was taking a aggressive cut, it was, I was getting this kakunk, kakunk, kakunk. If I had steppers, I would have suspected that it was like missing steps. Like it, that's what it sounded like. Like it was mm-hmm. losing steps. But I have servos, and a servo would air out if it missed a step or missed a step. Not not to clear path, at least not not right away. If they progressively get farther behind, they will. Yeah, you'll get a but following like, air. We have a yeah. Problem. They will try to catch up. Yeah, they, they will can. try to catch up. But we we have a deal where sometimes chips will get in that front um, guard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when we do a lot of aluminum, and then we have a manual G code that's supposed to take it to front and center. Mm-hmm. And if there's chips packed into that area, it'll stall out the servo, and you'll just and hear clicking. Click, 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 click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I've never had that error out the machine. It'll just sit there and click forever. That's because it doesn't get far enough behind. Because what happens there is you're basically, you're compressing a spring and the machine's like, all right, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And then it relaxes a little bit and then it it, it gets pushed off where it's supposed to be. And then it compresses that spring again and then it relaxes and it's that cycle that uh, freaks it out. But if you're doing a tool path and the tool path gets behind, like you're not really, like it's never able to catch up and that's when it'll trigger the following error. Yeah. Yeah. But I was doing some reading about what it could be, and someone on a who had like a Fadal mentioned that it was the, um, like they described the exact same issue, and they said it was the motor coupler on the axis that was potentially slipping. Which I don't think I, my parts are coming out undersized, but I went ahead and fixed that. I, I tightened the bearings, I tightened the gibs, and I haven't made a similar part since then. So I don't know if I actually fixed it or not. But it was only when I was taking a pretty big cut. I was taking like a um, 50 thou deep or 50 thou width of cut. I think three quarter inch deep in steel with a three eighth inch tool. So it wasn't. Have you? I, Go ahead. I was just saying it was a serious cut. Oh, okay. Have you ever done lost motion testing on your Tormach? In the way that you put an indicator against it and Yes. Okay. Do you know what you're running on yours? When I checked, I think I was between like one and three tenths. Okay. Um, it's been a bit since then. That was like right after I adjusted it. Okay. That's if you're get, if you're anything below three tenths, my understanding that's that's the best you should be able to ex- reasonably expect, unless you have really good uh, ball screws and everything's like perfect. So that's what made me figure out that it was my my thrust bearing thrust bearing yeah yeah because I, I was able to put a uh indicator on the x-axis ball screw lead mm-hmm. screw and uh i only had about three tenths of backlash in that and so that's how i determined it was my angular thrust and also whenever i tighten them down you can hear it it just like vibrates and grinds you can it's got that bad bearing yeah uh noise and and motion so uh, we'll get those switched out and hopefully by changing those three things, uh, my machine will start cutting better than new 
again. So. Yeah, I went through my machine not too long ago and redid, you know, retightened everything and adjusted it all. And it was definitely better than new when I was done. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think Tormach talks about a lot, um, especially no. for people that use it a lot, is that you really need to once a year go through your whole machine and tighten everything up and adjust everything in. And it it makes a huge difference. Like you don't notice it as it like slowly gets more and yep. more off. But like right after you fix everything, you're like, wow, this is cutting so much close. Like like you'll notice, like at least for us, uh, because we're a job shop, well, you know, we'll measure stuff. And I can remember the last time I did this and I was cutting parts. I was like, man, we're like a thou or better on like all our parts. And then over time, it's like, oh, we're within two thou or within yeah. three thou. And it just <laughs> it's kind of like opens up and it's just like, oh, you know, it's in, it's still in spec. So it's not a big deal. And but then like you get a part that comes up and it's like, no, you need to hold a towel. It's like, okay, time to go through the machine. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're probably in the top percentage of like Tormach users pushing their Tormach. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I've had a couple machine issues lately we can talk about, but when I'm not having machine issues, like my machine's running at least 60, 70 hours a week. And like, that's just not what Tormox are designed for. Yeah. Yeah. Which we can kind of talk about. What, what do you think would be your, your next move to get into a machine that's more able to handle that? So I'm definitely going to a sill next or a sile, a sile, a sile next. Uh, it's the only thing that fits in my, sh- like through my door. Like once I'm in the door, I have a whole 96 inches, but in order to get in the door, I'm limited to like 82 inches. And that's mm-hmm. with removing the garage door. So it's basically a style. Then I get to choose, do I go X5 or X7? Uh, I need to get a little bit more specific info from them. It sounds like the base X5 is actually way better than the base X7. Um, yeah. It seems like it's got a, a nicer spindle and better rapids uh, and a bigger tool changer. But you lose... Uh, 100 millimeters, what is that, three, four inches in X travel. But is the machine smaller? And if so, is it smaller? And the machine is half the size. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, is the ratio of the machine shrinking compared to the loss in table, does that make up for having like three machines in your shop instead of two? I I think so. The, The only thing that would push me to an X7 is like if basically the information I have about the X7 is out of date. And now they do have the same spindle and the same rapids. And like, if the costs are basically the same, I would probably get an X7 because I will run out of power in here before I run out of space. That's true. But an X5, I think is going to happen very soon here. So are, are those a 12,000 spindle? 20 K 20 K. Yeah. Oh, that would be okay. Because I I know their their X seven is like a I think it's like a twelve k. Yep. And that's why I'm so, like the spindle is better in the X five. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would for for your products that makes so much more sense. That would shave a lot of. I mean, that would cut your machine time in half probably for a lot of your stuff because you're probably RPM limited. You would think so, but in titanium, I don't run at the max. Oh, you don't? No. I don't think I'm running. No, I'm running my one sixteenth inch tool at, at max RPM, but for the most part, I'm below max. Really, I would think with all your tooling, maybe that you'd be higher, but maybe not. Titanium is surface feed 
or surface speed sensitive and I'm still kind of having some coolant reliability issues. So keeping it a little bit cooler is, or a little bit slower, keeps it cooler, okay. keeps it more reliable. Does, do you have any issues with your coolant making it to your tools with the coolant ring? So my issue is not the coolant making it to the tools. My issue is the coolant making it to the floor and then the machine doesn't have enough coolant to make it to the tools. What do you mean? Like the cycle of the coolant? Like it, like you get, so, <laughs> so basically my machine throws coolant on the floor and then I don't have enough coolant in the machine anymore. Oh, you're leaking. Sort of. I'm overflowing. Okay. You know, the chip basket. Mm-hmm. So with my little itty bitty, teeny tiny titanium chips, the coolant can't make it through those chips fast enough to drain faster than my pump can pump. And so what happens is it ends up overflowing off the back and onto my floor. So even if I clean the basket every cycle, it still overflows. Now, interestingly, what I have discovered is the other day I ran some of that mild steel, which had bigger chips. And there's a layer of mild steel on the bottom of my chip pan right now with a titanium on top of it. And that is somehow helping. I don't know how. I guess it's just like distributing the flow better. That, but I yeah. actually haven't had the same issues as much recently. But my chip pan is full, so I need to empty it now. I, I would guess that the titanium chips being smaller, they'll they'll mesh with your mesh better, and that'll create blockage versus having a little bit of a buffer between the two. They can't completely self-seal. Yeah. So I was thinking about putting down a um, one of those like aquarium pre-filters, and I figured that might help like distribute the flow just like the the steel chips in there are. Well, if you do that, what you should do is you should um, probably in the front of the machine. So you can keep an eye on it. You should build up a little wall of some foam or of some, of something that's like really easy to have the coolant flow through, even as your chips build up just like a little, uh, that way if the water gets too high, it'll kind of reach a point where it can overflow into a, a cleared out area. I tried something similar. I made a laser cut um, acrylic thingy that I stuck down in there and it just didn't really work very well. Oh. Now, one thing I might do is cut a hole on the side of my um, coolant tank, like just right at the top. Just, you know, go an inch down on the, or excuse me, not the coolant tank, the chip tray. Just go an inch down on the chip tray and put a little spout that leads back into the coolant tank. So that any of the overflow goes into the coolant tank, at least instead of into my floor. And so that way it's still re- retained and I would end yeah. up with chips in my coolant tank, but I wouldn't end up with coolant all over the floor. And now I have an inline filter. So it wouldn't be the end of the world. If there were some chips in there that I had to clean out every now and then. Let me let you in a little secret. There are chips in there. You're just not having to clean them out. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I just bought enough coolant. I'm going to do a whole tank clean out here soon. Because I'm I'm also getting a little bit of foaming. And I think the foam is just from... Like, I think the... Like... The coolant goes through the pump. It sprays. It hits the part. It splatters. And I think it makes a little bit of foam there. And normally it has a little bit of time to go away. But I think it's just sitting on top of my, you know, densely packed layer of chips and just some bubbles kind of build up over time. I don't know if that's the foaming that people talk about or not, but. Yeah, I don't know. 
I think it's also the least of my worries at the moment. But anyway, I was going to clear out the whole tank. Because right now I don't have much coolant in it anyway because it keeps overflowing. Yeah. With that said, even though you're you're having some issues, how's production going? Like, are you producing a lot of parts? Or, or is stuff going good there? We have moments of doing well and we have moments of doing badly. So one of the... we We... We got the new probe set up and working, and that has it's fixed some issues and added other issues. Okay. I don't know how much how into the weeds we want to get on this. But the we are not making scrap parts anymore. But okay. what is happening is occasionally the probe will uh, falsely trigger and it'll stop the machine from running. Okay. And there's like a million little factors that seem to feed into it. We, I'm, I'm slowly getting them worked out over time. Oh, do we want to go down the deep rabbit holes of the macro programming and the stuff that I've been through? Uh, if you can hit it at a high level and then if, you know, we might be able to go into detail on some of it, but just start out with high level. Okay. So I was getting this error all the time. Like it, it kept happening over and over again. And it would be like a couple, a couple tenths differently different each time but it would be like the machine would go to probe and it would air out and it would be like you know the part was not in the position we expected it's 80 thousandths off and i looked and i looked and i could not figure this out i tried changing the tool pass i tried i tried everything turns out there are three different places where you can assign probing speed and probing distance with the fusion or excuse me, with the, the Tormach macros and the, the probing macros. Okay. And if the the three different values apply at different times in some fairly non-obvious ways, and what was happening is there was a difference between what the, the probing macro, like the distance the probing macro wanted to probe, and the distance that Fusion thought that it was probing from, and what would happen is the probe would go down, start probing, and then it would wrap it up, and then it would probe back down again. And that wrap it up, it was only like a couple thou. I think it was like a five thou or a ten thou wrap it back up. That little jerk was triggering the probe. Oh. And it, like, when you watch it, it just looks like it was a hesitation. Like it was, you hmm. know, chugging through some code. But no, it was actually a little a little jerk that was triggering the probe. And there is a continue the, control the speed of that. Yeah, you have three different settings as to where it happens. But of course, okay. the rapids are rapid and it doesn't obey any of those. Gotcha. Well, I, I guess when you said your three different settings, I was thinking three different probe heights or something, or three different like set points. Yes. Not you not can speeds. set three different set points. You can set three different speeds. Okay. Actually, two. Di- there might only be two different heights but yeah and so it took me a while basically you just have to make sure the fusion like you have to make sure that they're in order and that the fusion distance is higher than the other distances otherwise it does that and this probe has just been kind of temperamental about getting like jogged too hard and it'll it'll do a false trigger and that's been that's been kind of annoying uh i don't remember is it just super sensitive then i guess so I'm kind of afraid that it was damaged a little bit or something because at one point the, my tool changer did drop it and I'm worried that it got damaged a little bit there, but it's getting these oh. little false trips. 
and either I just wasn't paying attention or like I had bigger problems when I was first setting it up and I didn't notice them or they're, you know, because of that drop or something, they're happening now. So I'm just, I don't know. I just need time to tinker with it. And like there were, basically there was like three or four different things that I had to figure out and I've been getting them figured out one at a time. And I think I basically just uncovered some more things that I have to tinker through. Okay. So the, the issue with your big program right now is the probing more than anything yes. else. Yes. Cause sometimes I'm getting false triggers and in those false triggers, it'll, it'll stop the machine. How about the rest of it? Is it, uh, is it working pretty well? Like, do you have your, does your master program call up all your other programs and do everything yes. you want it to do? That has been fantastic. It has worked super, super well. And even like when the probing does work, I'm making so much better. Like the parts are so much better than they were like huge quality, um, huge step up in quality changing from, I finally went through all the two and a half millimeter tools that I was using on the, to do the perimeters just because I had them. I switched to an eighth inch tool, uh, which is both cheaper and lets me push my feeds a little bit higher and it gives me a better finish. So that's been a huge improvement. Um, I've gotten in, I got my like onion skin levels dialed in. I leave a two and a half thou onion skin now, and that's the perfect amount between like holding things in place and letting you take them off. Yeah, everything is working super reliably except the probe at this point. And in fact, the That's probe awesome. was working fairly well over the, um, I guess it was the weekend. I don't know. I've lost all track of time, but we'll call it the weekend. And in two days, I was able to get like 40 carabiners made or something like that, which is a pretty good. Pretty That's good awesome. For me. It may have been that may have been a day and a half, actually. So are you caught up on Kickstarters at this point or is, is this nope. all website orders? <laughs> nope. Uh, I've got about 80 more carabiners for the Kickstarter to do. And uh, I know I need some not for climbings right now to fill website orders, but. Oh, wow. We're probably averaging. Well, okay. We're probably averaging right now 30 carabiners a day. So, but that's, so, some days we make 40 and some days like today we make zero. So, okay. Well, even, even if you're averaging 40, it sounds like that's like three more days. A couple days, more days. Yeah. <laughs> the, let's see, we have, oh, I need to make the first batch of generative scales and the other, what do we call them? The premium scales. I haven't done the cam for those. That's the, the last thing I have the prototype cam. I just need to convert it to production cam. Have you been mixing pallets? Have you been working in coins with your I, with your carabiners? I have not gotten the coins yet. The coins are 100% ready to go. I just need to put them on the machine and hit go. But I like we needed a bunch of carabiners, so I was running carabiners and I was trying to get ahead and then I took like a day and a half off and now I'm behind on carabiners again. So as soon as I'm caught back up on at least the website orders, I'll start working in pallets of the of the coins. Gotcha. You might need a new machine faster than you think if you keep at this pace. I, I need it six months ago. <laughs> so, because I mean, honestly, if you had two machines right now where you could be prototyping and running production, that's where I think you're going to be the most profitable in the long run is yes. at least having two machines. Yeah. A, you at very least, I need a production spindle and a prototyping spindle. Yeah. If you did have an X7, which one would you keep for production? Which would you keep for prototyping? Oh, production on the X7 all the way. Okay. Prototyping on the Tormach. Um, 
Though I think they would both do production most of the time. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be real cool. If you get one, you're going to have to tell me all about it because I have been tempted by those. They're just I, not big enough. <laughs> I will. Yeah. So. The X5 is 11 by 11 work area. Yeah. Which, honestly, for most of our stuff would be fine. If I, I would, I would honestly consider selling the Tormok to get an X5 if I had another, if I had a bigger machine and I could sell the Tormok and then upgrade it. Because if it's, especially if it's a little bit of a smaller footprint. So that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. The, the irony is if I get an X5, the Tormok will be my big machine because there's, what is it? 18 inches of X or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, what is it? 10 by 18? It's, it's, uh, I think 10 and a half by 18 or 11 okay. by 18, something like that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll lose a couple of inches of X, but gain a whole bunch of speed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from the beginning, I would put a quick change pallet system on the, um, the X5, probably finance that with the machine. Speaking of which, have you Check looked at Pearson's, Pearson's videos? Oh, he, yes. He just announced like four products. Yeah. I don't think anything that really concerns us, though. He had the. He he's got a he's got a four pallet station, pallet that goes on top of the Pearson pallet. Like a, a like a, it's a it's a sorry not a four station a four station vice that goes on top of the Pearson pallet system. Oh yeah, I don't use vices though. So. Yeah, I do. <laughs> that would be amazing, because you can use it as either two three axis vices. Or two six-axis vice, or two six-inch vices on mm-hmm. uh, either side, or four three-inch vices. I apparently did not watch that close enough because I didn't realize that. But yeah, because that was the only thing that he announced that I saw that I was like, that would be awesome because that's basically like four vices that are interchangeable in one in one changeover. So. How- how large is the Pearson pallet system? The the mini, the mini. It depends I'll tell on what you in a second you, here. Yeah, it depends on what pallet you stick on top of it, but I, it's not that much smaller than the Pro. The advantage of the Pro is that you have double the clamping force down, and it's sealed along the edge, and it can and it's like an it's like two inches bigger in each each direction. It's actually not, huh? I remember this thing being huge, and it's not. It's let's see. The mini is has six by ten pallets and eight by fourteen pallets. Of course, you can make your own. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What was the pro? Because I was thinking about going Chuck. Is that called Chuck Puck? Puck Chuck? Puck Chuck? Puck Chuck. Have you seen the Puck Chuck? Is that a, is that a Saunders thing? Yeah, that's Saunders's things. Oh, did did he actually show it? Can you actually see it now? Yes. Oh, if you go to his website, you can see it. Just search. Uh, let's see. Can you search Puck Chuck? Sa- Saunders Machine Works. It's on his website somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For the the pro sizes is eight by twelve and eight by sixteen. Which again, I know you can make your own, but on a um, X five, I couldn't machine the whole thing. Like some of that would have to be unmachined, or I make my oh, own pallets. That's a cool so, little puck check. 
But I didn't realize. I thought the mini. I thought the the Pearson systems were more expensive than they were. The mini system starts at fifteen hundred, and the the Saunders puck chucks start at a thousand. And I would probably need either two or four of them. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm back to Pearson because. Yeah, I don't know. The the six by ten fixtures are about perfect for me. Yeah, Mod- modularity is definitely the way industry is going. Though in the future, this is going to be what everyone's running. Something along these lines. Yep. The thing I like better about the Saunders fixtures, the the puck chucks, is they. It's easier to machine your own. What should we call them? Your own pallets. Your own items to go on top. Yeah, like you yeah. can machine the Pearson palettes, but like they've they've just got more features in them. I don't know. Yeah. Can, can we pause a second? Anyway, Pearson palette system, puck chuck, something like that, I think is going to go on the machine from day one. That may mean, be ready for this, I may not even do a Saunders Machine Works fixture plate. Gasp. Oh, really? Yeah, if I'm just going all and- zero point. Well, if you're doing that, then you probably want to lean towards the Pearson stuff because I don't know if Saunders stuff, because it's designed to work, it's designed to bolt down to his fixture plate. So it, it seems to imply that there is a version of it that you can do with toe clamps. Okay. I, um, would, I would make sure of that. You might not be able to get them as densely packed, though, without it being on a fixture plate. True. So like if you're trying to make a grid of chuck pucks, you might have to have the plate on top of it. Although the the plus side is with the with the the Sile X5, with how small the work area is, I can't imagine that the fixture plate on it's going to be super expensive. True, I looked it up. It's only like a couple hundred bucks. Which you got to tell me if if okay if you do it doesn't matter which system you do, you got to mount your uh, your tool presetter to a to a puck chuck or something. <laughs> Because then you can get you can get your full table access. Oh, unless you're unless you're trying to do in process probing, but yes, which I, is a given. I, that's true. Oh, oh my gosh it. the the fixture plate for the X five is super cheap. You can get the forty one forty one version for six hundred bucks. Oh, that's awesome. The aluminum is three hundred forty nine. Yeah, that's not bad at all. So, I guess I would still put a fixture plate on it if for no other reason it keeps the table nice and pretty. Not on the underside. <laughs> I took mine off today. It was bad. Uh, Did you use I, the dielectric grease? Yeah. Oh. So. I, I, I guess like I just like have... washed it out. Yeah. Yeah. It 40... was still it was it was still really gummy on the underside. But it was it was there was a lot of patches of rust, and I don't know if maybe I just didn't have enough dielectric grease or what, but. He does say to check it every year or something. Yeah, which I did. Months. I just did. But the nice thing is I just ran I just ran my uh stone over everything, cleaned right up. I mean yeah, it was it was not it, deep, it's just surface. Yeah, it just it just looked bad. And then after doing the stoning, it, it looked like a new table again. So So have we talked about macros other than the probing macros from a second ago? Uh, no, we haven't gone d- deep into it yet. I have been deep into macros for the last week or so. That's awesome. 
So basically, like I've realized that macros are wonderful, beautiful things and I should be using them more. I wrote a macro to wake up the probe. I think we did talk about that one. We did talk about that one. That one's been great. I like that one so much that I wrote a macro for like, hey, move the machine to front and center. Yes, you Mm -hmm. could do that as a pass through on C, which is I assume what you do. Mm -hmm. But I like it as a macro because I can now take that same code to a different machine potentially. And as long as I have a macro on that machine that's like go front and center, like it'll always work between machines. Can you, have you ever thought about modifying the post processor to add that in where you can just have it at the end of the program? Yes, I, I've, um, I have. The way I've worked around that is I have the, I have my like uh, palette pool macro, and the last step of the palette pool macro is to do the front and center. Gotcha. But there's a couple times in the middle of programs where I want to do that, like um, on the carabiners, I put in screws after it drills a bunch of holes. So mm-hmm. I built that into the program. And, but then the big thing I've been working on and I haven't actually tested yet. I have written it. I, I was talking to um, foot pedal Jones and I like, I have some tweaks I need to make, but it's 99% there. I wrote a tool life tracking macro. Ooh, that's so, awesome. Basically like foot pedal Jones helped fill in the last little step that I needed, but it is a macro that you can win. I'll edit my post to do this or can I do that? Well, eventually I'll edit my post to do this, but in the meantime, I'm just going to put it in as a manual NC before all of the different tool calls. And basically like you call the macro and then it has four different modes that it can run in. And like one of the modes is like, Hey, just reset this tool li- or this tool where life, the tool life, so basically I replace the tool. It has a, I replace the tool mode. It has a add this amount of time to the tool life mode. And I'm just going to use the fusion predicted times. I couldn't figure out how to get it to like look at a clock before and after the tool path. So it's just gonna, it's just gonna look at the fusion predicted tool paths and just add that to a counter every time. Then I have a mode where it'll just dump the, the tool life of every tool. And then the thing I need to fix is I have a macro that will check all of the tool lives and tell you if uh, any of them are over their limits. So if you are running one program and then run another program, is it, is it, is it just appending? Is it like a, a text file where it's just appending the time each tool's run? Or is it actually loading in the value that you saved it last time? Like it's like if it's tool 99 or tool 87, is it grabbing that tool grabbing that time, adding the time to it, and then reposting it. Like what's, how's it doing that? Okay. So this is where, this is where the magic happens. This is where the things start to get in the nitty gritty. So tools, they have offsets, correct? Mm-hmm. They have a uh, length offset and a diameter offset. Those are what we mm-hmm. use. Did you know that tools also have a XYZ ABC UVW offset? Uh-huh, I see where this is going. So I'm using <laughs> the UVW offsets and offset U of the tool was the the time the tool lasted before the last tool change. Basically just a, a record so you can compare like this is how long it lasted last time. Uh, offset U is the amount of minutes that the tool has currently kept or currently run for. And then the W is the limit. And so, so it's wait, actually if you had, stored in the tool table with the tool. 
Okay, are those just the values that you're assigning to it, or or what are those values normally used for? I believe they are a holdover. Well, I know for a fact they are a holdover from Linux CNC, which Pathpilot is based off of. And I believe they're there mostly for lathes. Okay. But basically, like, Linux CNC is not built for mills. Linux CNC is built to basically build whatever the heck CNC machine you want on it. So it has a bunch of features that are just completely unnecessary. And so it has these gotcha. XYZ, ABC, UVW offsets. Gotcha. And you just can't see them with the current PathPilot controller? Nope. You have to access them through... Um, parameters okay okay well then i don't know why pathpilot hasn't done this sooner this sounds like a really easy fix yeah it's not too complicated the thing that i couldn't figure out was the parameters work with the active tool Mm -hmm. which means if you wanted to check all of the tools you'd have to do a tool change through all of them like a physical tool change but we found a way to kind of cheat the system and you can do like, you know, like T one H six T one H seven. And the H is the offset. And so what it'll do is it'll just be, it'll just do a tool change, leaving the tool number the same, but changing the offsets through all of the different tools. Um, okay. And that is the feature I have not built in yet. Cause I, I didn't know how to do it until the other day. So. It's all untested. Maybe this doesn't work at all, but if it does work, it'll be really cool. So are you're changing the heights of the tools? It's the UVW offsets. Yeah. But you, Whatever you, those said, mean. you, you said you were just changing the H value, which was confusing me for a second, I guess. Yeah. So if you do a... Because um, you call t- T1H1, it'll be tool one, height one. Yes. But you can, you can call tool two, height two, uh, H2. T1, H2, and it'll crash your machine. So you got to yes. be careful about that. <laughs> yes, and I I will be. I'll find a way to make that work reliably. Because you can... It shouldn't be too hard to do programmatically. Because basically all you have to do is say, hey, machine, what tool do I have right now? And store that in a variable. And then you call through all of your offsets. And then at the end, you just go back to that number you stored earlier. Yeah. You could always do, you could do like a tool check right afterwards or something. A tool length detection is a check, but yeah, it'll be really nice when this goes in. Cause pretty much now the only reason I break tools in my carabiners is well, one, they wear out and they get dull and they break or two coolant issues. So once I get these last two things nailed down, I'll have a pretty reliable process. You know what's one thing that I haven't really thought about? Well, I have, but one thing I really like about my Haas that I thought I... I, You know, Haas and Tormach, they do things differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll look at Tormach and go, man, I wish Haas would copy this from them. And other times I look at, at uh, Haas and go, man, I wish Tormach would copy this from them. And I was just thinking about this as you were talking about your macros. I wish Tormach would pause the time... Whenever you <laughs> did a feed hold. Yes. <laughs> because I want to know how long my program actually took. And that's something that that Haas does. Anytime you feed hold, it stops the, the mm. counter. And 
at first I was like, oh, that's really annoying. You know, I want to know how long this program's been running. But I honestly don't care about when I started or how long it stopped for. I care about how long the program actually took to run. Yep. And so that's one thing I wish there I wish there was a toggle switch in Pathpilot to like switch between uh, either continuous time or runtime. Like, because I feel like if they if you hit the feed hold button, that should automatically pause. It'd be really easy to have that also pause your time. Yeah, the hmm. I think that would be a much bigger deal than you would think to add, because I know I know that is that time is actually based off of like processor cycles. Oh, really? Yeah, it's based off of something dumb. It comes like it. I don't know. I don't know how deep you've got into Linux CNC, but there's this thing called a HAL, the hardware abstraction layer. And there's a function in there called time. Maybe it just measures thing. And I don't know. But hmm. it, It's more complicated than it should be. That sounds like it. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, tool not, life, not, not a tool life macros, almost done. I just need time to play with it. My machine was down today uh, because of my belt of all things. It oh. was, for a long time, it has been squeaky. Ever since I put in this new spindle, it's been squeaky. Mm-hmm. And I could never really figure out why. And it was just annoying, and I just left it. And then it slowly started getting a little bit worse. And I noticed some artifacts when I was facing that looked mm-hmm. like vibrations. And I think it was the belt like dancing around on the pulley, uh, causing some vibrations and messing up my finish. And I was like, well, that's really annoying, but I still don't know what's causing it. And then the other day I came out to my machine and it had aired out with a uh, spindle encoder error. And I was like, that's weird. And I opened up the head and the belt was like pinched up between the, the top of the machine and the pulley. Like it had come off and just gotten stuck there. And I was like, that's really weird. And so I took the belt off and my belt was like wavy. And I'm not sure how that happened. Maybe I damaged it when I first put it on, and I've just let it get worse and worse over time. I'm not sure. You need to check something for me. Okay. We've gone through a belt because it got really squeaky, and we replaced it with another one. And to to be fair, it hasn't had any issues. However, during this work that I've done today, actually right before I came here, when I was working with the pulleys a little bit, I noticed that all my valleys on my pulley were completely full of rubber. So yes, I had that too. And this is actually one of my theories as to what happened is yes, all the little valleys are full of rubber. I think that was true before I put on this belt. And so I think the the belt couldn't grab on track very well. So yep. what I did today is I went to the hardware store, I bought some a selection of like nylon and brass brushes and I brushed all that stuff out of there. Yep. So, have you actually tested this? Do you know if that works? I haven't. I haven't tested it. I, I literally noticed it today. I haven't run my machine. When you were replacing the spindle. Yep. Yeah. So, so I I found a brass brush did a really good job of getting that stuff out of there. I, I have a. I have some of those. Uh, what you call them? They're they're like an ice pick, and they just have different ends that are at different angles. Um, and so I just found one of those that basically fit into the V groove slot, and I just. I had the pulley on the spindle and so I just rotated it by hand and just mm-hmm. fed it in and it just like dug all the rubber out and mm-hmm. I'd have like these huge globs of rubber that were just coming off of each and I just walked up it. I just did one at a time. 
I tried to do that, but I don't think my pick fit as well or something. But yeah. anyway, the, the to... brush just took care of it pretty quick. Yeah. Which if I'd had a brush, I probably would have used that because it probably would have been... I, 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 I worry that the pick might have damaged the grooves some because it was pretty aggressive. I was looking for a better option and that's the only thing I had. So, yeah. Well, grass brush, there's, there's your future option. Yeah. Yeah, the... I. Before this happened, I was like, okay, I need to get to the bottom of this. And I ordered belts and they're literally sitting on my doorstep right now. I was waiting all day for the belts to come in. So, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that'll fix this squeaky issue. Oh, Um, speaking of spindles, uh, another piece of news. So. uh, Knife guy, I can't remember his name. He put out a a video on the Tormach spindle. Yeah. He pointed out that the bearings in the spindles are not sealed and mm-hmm. they're some brand that he's never heard of. Um, and talking to the guy today, it sounds like Tormok is aware of that issue and it, partly because of his video. And they're actually in the process of changing to a sealed NSK bearing on oh, all their spindles. That'll, that'll be a big improvement. Good and job, so Tormok. I have no idea when they're going to actually implement it yet. I don't know if it's already coming or if it's how soon in the near future it's going to be. And I don't know if they're going to actually make any announcement and call it like old spindle, new spindle or what, or if they're just going to change it. If they'll just change it and you'll just have to check to see which one you've gotten. But I do know at least from him that they are, they're trying to do that. And I have no idea how far along the process they are. on it. So and I, but in the near future, and I, and so what I basically have th- said is the next time we have to do a a, a bearing replacement, um, we're just going to order a new spindle and just see if it has the new bearings, or call Tormach and confirm that it has the new bearings, and then order a new spindle. We have our inside man. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, because that'll make a huge difference, because the tool life on those, or the the spindle life, especially when you're running higher RPMs, is pretty bad. Uh, with the current setup, so and his it seems to be pretty consistent with other Tormach users that that run at higher RPMs for long periods of time. Yeah, yeah. So, which is understandable. I mean, like I said, even uh, Grimsmo has had that issue. Um, and but granted, his high RPMs are like forty thousand RPM. But so. again, his spindle costs probably more than both of our machines combined. Oh, I can guarantee it. So. I think I think it was like like more than a a, a new car. <laughs> so my my machine costs more than any car I've ever purchased. So <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, uh, mine too. It's actually like three times the cost of my current current vehicle. <laughs> so did but. you? You didn't finance your machine with Geneva Capital, right? No, Arvest. Okay, I was dig- digging into the uh fine print of mine my uh it's actually it is not a loan it is a lease and i was thinking the other day i went wait because this is a lease am i allowed to sell my machine and the answer is yes by the way in case anyone's curious i was kind of afraid like i just had this moment of panic like wait can i not sell this and can i not pay it off early and you can if you this is just psa if you would like to pay off the loan early you take all of your payments that you have left, you um, multiply like your number of payments times the amount your payment is minus taxes and um, 
insurance if you're paying for their insurance times 95%. So like basically all of your payments combined with a 5% discount because that it's a 5% interest loan basically. Gotcha. I have made this incredibly unclear. It's the amount that you owe on the machine minus 5% plus whatever fee that you agreed to pay when the loan was over to actually purchase the machine. Some people have a um, 10% balloon payment. Some people have a uh, $1 balloon payment. So what we did when we got our machine, just to also do a little bit of a PSA, was we got a Arvest loan for a new machine, and it was just a cash loan. Mm-hmm. That had nothing. They like they didn't care what machine it was or or you know whatever it was. It was just we'll give you this amount of money. Just you have to. I think we had to send them the receipt, and that's how they determined what the loan amount was for. But um, other than that, like they don't. It, it's just a cash loan at this point. Yeah. The reason, well the. One of the big reasons we didn't go that route, what one, Geneva Capital was easier. Two, and this is far more important, is we were trying to sell our house and buy a new house and get a mortgage. And the lease does not count as debt when you're getting your mortgage. So it does not change your debt income ratio or any of that stuff. Okay. So we could get that lease when we were looking at buying a new house. And not like, you know, have to tell our mortgage broker and da 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 da. So Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I did not have any of that. So we got a we got a it was actually a really good we got like two point five percent interest rate or something like that. Oh nice. From Arvest. They it was like they were doing a promotional uh, back in whenever we got it was like what, twenty twenty? They were doing like a new business proposal or uh new business equipment or new equipment. I don't remember what I can't remember what it was. It's been too long, but basically a promotional where they yeah. gave a really low interest rate for buying new equipment. Yeah. When I let's see, with my Tormach, we'll call it a loan for sake of argument here, but my Tormach loan, it was basically just a five percent simple interest. Like yeah. I don't know, whatever the machine was plus five percent. And that's pretty darn reasonable. I was just looking at my bank and like I didn't talk to a person or go into details, but they have like a you know, quick little calculator. And this is for a personal loan, not a business loan, but it was 10% interest right now. I did not look for at a, like a, you know, a machine purchase loan kind of provider. Yeah. But I don't know. I may go the Geneva capital route again. Not sure. Yeah. I'm, I'll be excited when the Tormox paid off. It's, it's getting close, I believe. Nice. So, I think we're we're doing pretty good on it. I want to. I want to. Once we get some extra cash, that's one of the things I'd like to get paid off as soon as possible. Because we're gonna. I don't want to have three machine payments. Yeah. <laughs> no, if they're making you money, it's not the end of the world. It's not. It's not. Um, you can definitely make a lot of money and have everything on payments still. Yeah. Um, but it does definitely grease the wheels if you can get. A machine or two where you're not making payments on it. Yeah, it's when do you want the cash flow? Do you need the cash now or do you need the cash in the future? Which is better. Yeah. Roll some dice. Like, 
Yeah. You can make educated guesses, but some you know, point it's... People, people will say, you know, you can do the numbers. And if you if you're no if you're always buying new machines, even if you're having to pay more in interest, you can grow your business faster. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you can grow your business faster. But if your business starts losing business, you're not going to last as long as the guy who's got all his machines paid off, even though it might have taken him longer to get to that point. His risk is much less. Yep. So. And that's usually how it works out. See here. Oh. This Friday, I'm going to a Haas Demo Day. Ooh. That's in our local area. What, what, what's a Haas Demo Day? A Haas Demo Day is where you get to go and get a free meal and free prizes to go learn about all the new things Haas is doing and okay. see equipment. It's kind of a social event, and it's a, it's a good opportunity to meet with people that are in your industry, in your area, uh, so you get some networking out of it. Um, and Haas tries to sell machines and yeah. or tooling or whatever to people. So going to be doing that. They sent us because we bought a Haas. They sent us from them. They sent us, you know, uh, invite to their event. And uh, because we're getting a new shop soon, we're like, hey, might yeah, as well. Good time. Maybe you can find so, a demo machine there. Yeah. I'd love to see some robots in person. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping they have some robots uh, to demo. Um, five axis would be cool to see. Yeah. Just different things would be really cool to see. Fab tech is coming up. It's in September. Oh, what's that? It's like mini IMTS, but it's a little bit more focused at fabrication than IMTS is. Um, I'm going, me and Scott are going partially because I just the same place as IMTS. Oh, okay. What, what's that called? McCormick Place, McCormick Station, wherever in, in Chicago. It's close but, enough for you guys. It's probably yeah. not that far of a drive. Yeah, yeah. We, we're probably just going to go for one day. But yeah. And it's free, unlike IMTS. Oh, that's cool. But we wanted to look at uh, tumblers and coding stuff specifically. Or I should just say finishing technologies in general. Uh, which okay. it'll have plenty of if like they will like Haas will be there and they'll have like a VF2 and you know maybe a UMC but like it's not IMTS. Yeah. A lot of the big chip removal companies will probably be represented but like you're not going to go find you know Frasia tools there or Rego fix or it, it's more aimed at you know welders and general fabrication. So I'm trying to look up something real quick. There's a there's an auction. A, mm. a, a business is going out of sale here that I'm going to try to go to. Well, I'm not going to be able to make it, unfortunately, because I'm going to be too busy. I have something but, to talk to you about after the podcast. Um, but there's an auction going on. Uh, it's on August 1st. And it's I really want to go to it. I don't think I'm going to be able to. I might see if I can have my dad just go and peruse and see what he thinks. Um, but they've got a lot of used lathes mm. and they've only got one used mill. It's a Haas VF 1150. VF11? What in the world is a VF 1150? It sounds uh, really big. It's <laughs> it's only got a thousand hours. I mean, that's not it's bad. A it's a 2016. It's an eleven slash fifty. Oh, so it's a it's a BT fifty. It's, it's a VF eleven in fifty taper. In fifty taper. 
yeah. But it's got like a twelve foot bed by like or a ten foot bed, a ten by six bed, something like that. You might or be able ten... to get it cheap just because it's so massive that nobody else is gonna be able to fit it. That's what I said. I was like, I was like man. Oh, but they do have they have a Renishaw probe and tools height setter that are brand nice. new in box. Oh, I need to see. Yeah, I want to go. They have a 2014 Haas ST40. Okay, they have a lot of different things. But another thing that I'm really interested in is they have chip chip dumpsters, a forklift, hmm. uh, a manual mill and a manual lathe, and a industrial bandsaw um, that's an auto saw. Yeah, that's all nice. Yeah, and if if you can get it cheap enough, it's worth it. But I I don't know I don't know how expensive any of that stuff is actually going to go for. Like, I'd have to sit down and write down the values of what I'd be willing to spend for each one of these. Yeah, and just see what they sell for. You definitely like, need a VF eleven. Oh, it would like <laughs> fill like I I considered it because I'm just like there's going to be no one there that's going to want to pay to move it. Yeah. Uh. Because, like, yeah, if I got a VF-11, BT-50, it's like, yes, I can machine your mill. <laughs> yes, you could. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, not enough Z. 120 inches in X, 40 in Y, 30 in Z. Yeah. Absolutely massive. 30 It's only got a 7,000 7, RPM spindle, though. Yeah, it's because it's not for doing aluminum. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have to get a spindle speeder. A BT50 yes. spindle speeder. I'm sure that exists. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it does too. Then I could then I could machine at like you know 30,000 RPMs with a <laughs> 7,000 <000 laughs> RPM spindle. <laughs> oh my goodness. You only need 70 amps of power. Oh really? That's it? That's yeah, it's really not that bad. bad. I mean, it's a big machine. It's not like it's just a it's VF, massive. but bigger. <laughs> it's it's a VF except huge. It's not like the uh, what are they? The VS machines? Yeah. Um, that are just huge. I looked at but a, yeah, like I I was looking at the TMOPs, and I honestly may have gone with one of those over a um, the style. But they don't fit in my shop. Nothing fits in my shop except for the siles. And the siles I, only I, fit by like a quarter of an inch. I think you'll be happier with the sile. I, I really do. I I probably will be. The main consideration for the TMOP, the TM-0P, is one, I think you may actually be able to get them cheaper. Two, it's a 40 taper. And I'm pretty much ready to say no more aluminum. And then my but spindle why would speed you doesn't a, matter as much. Why would you need a 40 taper? If you're not running at that high of a spindle speed and you're running small tooling, why in the world would you need a 40 taper? Because I'm not necessarily you, always going to do small tooling. Yeah, but some of the better desks... Some of the better desk stuff is uh, larger and some of it would require um, big or to do it efficiently. You'd want a big form tool. 
That's like how big we ta- how big we talking. I mean, not huge, but eh, eh, eh. yeah, I still feel like a BT thirty. You're just used to the BT thirty that's in a Tormach. Okay, a, a BT thirty is fair. And <laughs> in the right machine is actually decently rigid. Yeah, the Tormach's just a wet noodle. Like I love that machine for what it is, but I mean the BT thirty is not the weak link in this arrangement. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, especially when you look at what Robo Drill can do with theirs. Granted, theirs is a dual contact, but they can do some crazy stuff with a BT thirty. Yeah. Have you seen Samurai Machine Tool? I believe that's the name. And their machine on that, Instagram. That sounds familiar. Uh, that's the tool, or it's the machine that's like the size of a 440 Tormach, but it has a 28 tool ATC. No. It's pretty cool. They just showed a cutting demo of it doing 11 um, cubic inches per minute in stainless. So our Tormox can't do that in aluminum. And this thing is the size of a 440. It's actually rather impressive. Samurai Machine Tool? Yeah, I think it's I think it's the right name. Okay, I'm gonna follow these guys. And they're really not like expensive. Now, I don't think they've ever shipped a machine. Um, I've talked to the guy a fair amount, actually. Oh, it's he's got dual ATCs. Yeah, isn't that wild looking? Oh, that I guess is I could, so wild. Once I get this pulled up, I can screencast it. There we go. Yeah, yeah, dual ATCs. And like, look at the thing. It's tiny. It's so cute. That is awesome. And I kind of want one. Yeah. Here, look at it. See if you can. Here's the video of a cutting stainless. 11 cubic inches per minute. 1,000 SFM. Almost 8,000 inch per tooth. Yeah, my my Tormont can't do that. I don't. So, what kind of horsepower does it run in? It's nothing ridiculous. I really don't understand how it's as good as it is. I don't know if he has some secret sauce working in there or what, but it. I mean, and this machine is like seven thousand dollars. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not crazy. It's just not big. That's a cool little machine. Yeah. It, it it is super cool. I don't. Know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Let's see. Can we see the pricing on it? Again, I don't think they have shipped a single machine. Maybe I know at one point they were doing some kits. Yeah. Okay. It starts at eight thousand dollars. If we add the dual ATC, we're at about eighteen thousand dollars. Is this a kit? Is this? I know he was doing kits. You can buy it without the electronics and save some money. Save $2,000. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's a kit. Complete set of assembly tools. Oh, my goodness. So, I don't know. If, you cool. were, if we were just starting out, this would be a pretty killer machine. What what kind of RPM does it, is the spindle on that? Uh... Did it say? I don't know. It probably says it's somewhere. I'm just not sure what it is. It's all it's all linear rails, ball screws. Oh, that's cool. 
I thought yeah, I, I saw something about the about the spindle in there. Maybe not. Word. You can tell we're getting towards the end of our podcast because we're just looking at things on. Uh, we're, we're we're wandering. Yeah, this is the wandering portion of the podcast where we we uh, go way off track. Okay, speaking of way off track and wandering, this is a public service announcement. I'm bad at the internet here, so Haas is having a sale right now where they're selling things for stupidly cheap. Earlier today, and it's Harrison's fault, I bought. Six, no, I bought 12 ER16 tool holders for $25 each. It is just ludicrously cheap. Unfortunately, the deals on other things are not quite as good, but still pretty good. Some things they are. If you need tooling, now is your time. So, yeah, basically, my theory was I just bought tooling for the new machine. Uh, It's a preparatory purchase. To, to go with the build business and machining lingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Wait, did they change it? Oh, no, those were the ones I bought. Okay. Why? Those are 60 mil. Did I do a bad thing? What'd you do? Did I do a bad thing? Am I dumb? What'd you do? Did I buy one without drive dogs? I don't know. I'll check in that. I don't want to. I guess I can go to webcam again. That would have been really <laughs> dumb. That would have been so dumb. I don't think you can. I think BT30 has to have the drive dogs, doesn't it? Uh, you would think so, but it clearly. I'm dumb. Well, need Do to they not have uh, the drive dogs? Email. It doesn't have the drive dogs. Yeah, so it calls it a BT30. This is actually an ISO 30. Okay, well, the photo has drive dogs. Wait, which wait, there's on, different at... ones. Oh, did you grab the ones that didn't have the drive dogs? Yeah, the other ones weren't cheap, and I didn't realize it. I was gonna say because the ones I'm looking at do have the drive dogs. I should be able to like cancel that order or something. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they had the ER16 in. They don't. For sale with the drive dogs. They don't have it with drive dogs. Period. I could go to ER25, but I never use ER25. I don't have, I don't think I have a single ER25 call it. Oh, that's really annoying because I wanted the ER16, but I'm going to have the same problem. Well, do I go to ER25s? That's what I would do. For again, man, that's, they're so cheap. That's so dumb. Well, now we know why they're so cheap, because nobody wants well, them. <laughs> well, no, they're the same price for the ER25s with the drive dogs. With oh, or without yeah. the with or without the drive dogs, they're still twenty five bucks. Oh, you're right. Yeah, but they're ER twenty five and Man, that's dumb. Yeah, because they got they got ER sixteen, twenty five, and thirty two without the drive dogs, but they only have twenty five and thirty two with the drive dogs. Yeah. I wonder if the other ones just sold out. I, I wonder that too. The one with the drive dogs, if they just sold out of it, that could be what happened is they might've had three of each and just the 16s were the first to sell out. Yep. Okay. Well, I'll send them an email tomorrow and be like, uh, mistakes were, Oh, I'm showing details that I shouldn't be showing. There we go. <laughs> I don't think there's anything in there. That's yeah. Mistakes were made. Oh, that's annoying. 
well, okay, I guess we'll be getting ER-25s, which is fine because I have a bunch of ER-25 stuff for the lathe, so that's annoying, though. So all this stuff happens live. <laughs> yeah, love it. I, speaking of things happening live, I have a proposition. Okay. And I don't know, maybe we should talk about this offline, but I'm not going to. I was thinking about letting other small businesses like ours have a little spot on our podcast where we could give them a plug. I'm totally fine with that. I love meeting more shops and, and meeting people and anything we can do to help out would be awesome. I figured, I think the easiest way to do it would actually be to uh, put up a listing on my website. And I think I would just like, I don't really want to make money off of this or don't expect to, but I figured like make it a dollar if somebody wants a plug on the, like to plug their business on our podcast. And that way it'll get rid of the just annoying dumb spam stuff. But yeah, Yeah, do that. Or if they buy a, if they buy a product, just say, (laughs) yeah, Okay, yeah, that works. So either or, like either pay a dollar or, you know, if you buy something from either of us, then that would work too. That works. But all right, here's the caveat: one, you must be a small business. Two, yes. you have to make a physical product yourself. So no job shops. Oh, you have to offer a product or service that you do yourself. If you are importing things from China and then reselling them, you don't count. Okay. Does it, could it be like a leather worker? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You don't have to be a machinist, but you have to be doing the work yourself. That's fair. If you're just a middleman, I'm not going to allow it. If you are a big company, you can pay us more money. We'll we'll, we'll start, we'll start a a shout out. Etsy's are us. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't have a product, then you have nothing to advertise. So you have to have yeah. a, you have to have some product a or service product that you're selling. Service. You have to do it yourself. You have to be a small business. Uh, I'm not going to define small business. If you have an advertising budget, then you're not a small business. <laughs> I guess I have an advertising budget. That's not true. Hmm. If you advertise on other podcasts, then you're not a small business. <sighs> I don't know. I'm bad at defining small business. We're making apparently. horrible rules that are can confuse yeah. people. Under Reach 10 out million. To us. It'll be case by case basis. <laughs> under under 10 million in revenue. There Not you bad. go. That'd be the easiest way to do it. Yeah. If you are Amazon then or um BetterHelp or the one game app or Audible you know, be- or the mattress company then you can pay us, but we we don't get it- enough listeners to be worth it to them. It'd be interesting to bring on some people outside the machinist community. I agree. Like, cause I would, I would love to hear from, I don't know, like a, like a blacksmith or a knife maker or a leather worker would be pretty cool. I, so I've been saying that I'm going to design a knife for like months and I'm going to design a knife. I was going, after I designed the knife, I was going to try to get the feedback from a couple real knife makers uh, people like Knife Designer and on Instagram at Knife Designer, um, and just be like, "Here's my design, roast it," and it could be fun as a podcast. Yeah. So. Yep. But yeah, I also thought about asking Vincent Ferrari to come on, 
he has a podcast kind of in the more, you know, traditional maker world. And like he, I don't know. It, he, he does podcast good. Unlike us, we could talk to him. I'm yeah. sure he would come on, but he's outside our, of the machining world. Our podcasts are so unstructured. Yeah, I know. Especially now at the end, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It does. It starts off good and then tapers off. Yeah. Or it starts off b- bad and gets better. Depends really on how depends. ADD our listeners yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> Personality type and all that. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, you got anything else or... Oh, yep, there it goes. All right, guys. You know, you hear the music. You know what time it is. It's time Actually, to I think say Zencaster doesn't work, and they don't hear the outro music, by the way. Oh, they don't hear the outro music? No. You should. You can hum it while I'm doing my outro. <laughs> there you go. For those of you who can hear AJ humming in the background, we appreciate it. This is a place of the normal outro music. <laughs> Uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us for this podcast please like and share and tell all your friends and uh, this is Harrison with Precision Ingenuity signing out with AJ from Design the Everything this outro music is really hard to sing along to because it's just like 80s synth beats oh okay (laughs) went down and then came back (laughs) okay bye (laughs) 